0: Well, how, how, many, how many of you were really just touched by that video? You know, like that really spoke into, into your life. And that's, that's, that's the sentiment of, of many people nowadays, right? This whole, this whole idea that, that religion and Jesus are on two opposite spectrums of, of reality. And you know, when I first saw that video, I, I, I was really taken aback by it. Because, because it, to me, to me it, it grieves me that, that religion that church, that, that anything that's, that's termed in an organized way is seen as something awful, as seen as something not useful, as seen as something that doesn't really reflect the heart of Jesus. And you've got to ask the question to yourself, because, you know, because we're, we've been talking a lot about following Jesus in the last number of weeks. And, and what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what was it for the early disciples? And what was it that they witnessed? And what was it that Jesus was asking them to do when he said, follow me? And what was it that he was teaching them? And, 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 and all of that. And, and I'm, I'm struck. Because I've got to ask myself, if the church is such a negative place, and yet it is filled with people who are supposedly followers Of Jesus and people don't like the church but they love Jesus then where did we go wrong what happened what happened that generation after generation after generation after generation missed the essential primary motivation for following Jesus and what that meant for everybody beyond that now, I'm, I've, I've, got to, I've got to back up for a minute and have an apology. For those of you that have been following uh, the sermon series and have jumped ahead and read what I said was supposed to be the passage we were looking at this morning, um, I, I, I changed it all. Okay, so I'm really... I'm really sorry about that. You know, I got, I got to Wednesday morning, and I know this video and another video that we're going to look at afterward, and I was just really challenged. I said, we're talking about this whole Jesus thing, about what it means to follow Jesus, right? So I changed everything today to look at a whole different passage. Because here's, here's, here's what I'm saying. If Jesus spent years with these 12 men and poured himself into them so they could continue his message afterward... What is the core of his teaching to them? What is it that they should have continued? What is it that, that the students now becoming teachers after Jesus is gone, what did these new teachers, what is it that would have been the core of their, of their telling others what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to be students themselves? That would transform the world. Because the reality is, these 12 men went out into the known world of that time and literally transformed the landscape of the world at that point. All Western civilization is rooted in Christianity. You cannot deny it. You cannot deny it, that what Jesus poured into these 12 men became a transformational movement of humanity all across the known world. And here we are today with videos that are saying, we hate religion, but love Jesus. And I have to ask myself, where did we go wrong? So we're going to just take a few moments this morning, and we're going to look at a passage and we're going to look at a passage out of the Gospel of John. We're only going to take, uh, lift a section out of it. But this passage is so powerful because it is the last time that Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last component of teaching that, that Jesus pours into them. And if you're going to ask yourself, if well, this is the last moment I'm going to spend with a group of people, and I need to say something to them that's going to, that's going to give them impetus for what they're going to be able to do beyond my being there, what is it that I want them to take away? What is it that I want to teach them? What is it that I want to solidify in their own minds that as they move out, that I want them to know wholeheartedly? So this is a great passage, because it's Jesus' last instructions, basically, to his disciples. And we're going to, like I said, I'm going to lift this passage out. We're going we're gonna to talk about it, because there's some important things that come out. But I believe, if you're a follower of Jesus, these are the core things that you have to have to work on in your life, in order to be the kind of faithful follower that Jesus expects you to be, and to be the kind of faithful follower that builds His kingdom, acknowledges faith, acknowledges the church, and becomes a positive, a positive uh, influence to the world around us. Is that fair? Okay. Can we can we go? So here's here's what Jesus. says to his disciples, this is my commandment. He says, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves. Amazing that Jesus uses that terminology. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. That's pretty powerful. Imagine... Those words on Jesus' lips that are the last things said to his disciples as he's ready to take them to go away. Now, very first thing, uh, very first point I want to make is the obvious one is loving others. Okay? Um, Very first point that we want to put up is that it's loving others. Jesus, in in a number of places, has talked about love in this passage. All right, Um, Jason, you got that number one? Okay, thanks. Um, Jesus is, is the example that Jesus gave to the disciples was primary an example of loving other people because Jesus was the best demonstration of that love. And it's and it's what motivates him to go to the cross in many ways is the Father's love for the world that he's created. The Son has come to be the sacrifice for the sin of that humanity. It's 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 the greatest, you know, we, we've said this so many times, it's the greatest love story ever told. Period. And that Jesus shows this intimacy. To his disciples to call him friends and say that the love that I've demonstrated to you is the love that you carry forward to others. Now I'm going uh, I've I, I said this a number of times. The hardest thing for us to do as human beings, period, is to love the way God loves us. Period. I said we've managed, we manage judgment really well. We manage that really well. It's very difficult for us to manage love really well. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. That's, you know, we all struggle with it to the degree in which, because when we when we respond in judgment, it's very easy for us to make the list, right? This is this, you know, this is the reason, this is why I should do it, this is why, that's why they deserve it, this is why I told all of that stuff. To love and to just wash that away and be able to say, hey, in spite of all of this, in spite of all of this, I still have to love that person. Isn't that hard to do? Doesn't that go against everything humanly speaking to us? Because we want love to be justified before we act on it, right? Mother Teresa had said, she goes, I found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there is no more hurt, but only more love. (laughs) Wow, if I love until it hurts. Perry Noble, a, a pastor down in South Carolina, he, he tweeted this a few weeks ago, and I thought it was really good. He goes, love always assumes the best about a person. And we're talking about making assumptions. Love always assumes the best about a person. Hate always assumes the worst. What we assume about somebody often tells us what we really think of them. You know, you know it's one of those things that you read and you go, Whoa. And that, isn't that true in, in our own lives, the way the way we assume things about others? Is it, you know, how many of us, I'm, I'm going to, okay. How many of us have stood back and heard a decision that someone else made and you're very critical of it over here? Okay? And you're very critical of it over here. Why, you know, and you make all these assumptions about the decision that was made. How many of you have ever found yourself suddenly in that position of that person, and you realize you would have made the exact same decision had you been in that person's shoes? Guilty? Guilty? We're all guilty of that. Right? That's the danger. Jesus', Jesus expression of love was was done in the context of walking side by side with the people he was with. It's very hard for us to find ourselves in those kinds of shoes. Very hard. I, I love this. Frederica Matthews Green wrote a book about the first fruits of prayer, and she wrote this whole book about prayer, and it was this powerful kind of kind of exposition about prayer. But she says something really interesting in the book. She goes, she goes, the main evidence that we are growing in Christ is not exhilarating prayer experiences. And I thought, okay, you know, you're writing this whole book about prayer, and you're saying the the the, 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 the fruits of you growing in faith, has nothing to do with exhilarating prayer experiences. She says this, but steadily increasing humble love for others. That the outworking of those those passionate prayer moments, the outworking of your communion with God, is this deepening, humble desire to love others. You know, I'm going to be very personal, and I know this is... A, there's a people group that I grew up not liking. I'm going to say this out loud. There's a people group I grew up not liking. Okay? I was shocked. And I, I detested this people group. I'll tell you that right now. I detested them. I was shocked after I became a Christian that suddenly my whole, my whole opinion towards them changed dramatically. I, and, and You know what? And that was not had nothing to do with me. I w- that was one of the biggest evidences in my life that God was at work personally. Because you know what? I can even to this day, even to this day, I could I could I could I could put a banner about this high, and I could put a whole litany of things that I have against this people group, and go right to the bottom of the floor, and not even blink. But is that what it's all about? Is that what it's all about? That's just propagating, right? A attitude of hatred, assumptions. Man, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how wrong I was on so many things. But if you're never challenged with that kind of love, even as a Christian, What fate does the world have, if we are supposed to be the agents of the greatest love ever expressed to the world? Period. Now I know in a number. Here's here's an here's another important point. I I I know over over the last few few weeks we've looked at Jesus, you know, confronting the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And 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 really having this battle with them point on point about God the Father and and, and the religiosity and, and the, the rules and the regulations and stuff like that. And I got to thinking about this whole point because I thought to myself, what motivates Jesus to that? What motivates Jesus to this confrontation with the religious leaders? You know? And I think it would be very easy to say, well, you know, the, the the rules, the rituals, the religion, all of that kind of stuff. But I would say no. That's not really what motivated Jesus to confront them. What motivated Jesus to confront them, first and foremost, is that he loved them. And out of that love came his need and desire to confront them about what they had turned into and what they had turned the whole the whole Idea of the instruction of God's word known as the law that had become just ritual. And I think it's that love that really is the key motivating factor because not only were they wrong, they were leading others wrong as well. I think it's a very important point. And you know... You know, how you, you, know how you, you know, I, you know, I, I've thought lot long and hard about this because the video itself talks about religion and and how different religion has has become. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, "I've come to fulfill the law." Jesus said, "I will build my church." He said that, you know. And I thought, what is it? What is it that happens to us, humanly speaking, that we tend towards? you know, institutionalizing these very things like love, right? Um, I read a story, um, uh, N- NPR, I think it's called American Life, and I was really struck because there's a famous photojournalist um, for, the, for the Lawrence, I think, Daily Newspaper, and he was sent out on assignment during a storm, and I was really struck by the story because I think it illustrates what happens to us when it comes to this whole thing of, about religion, and faith and how we become kind of institutionalized in these kinds of things so here's this famous photojournalist and there's a whole video mo- uh, uh, you can go online and see the whole video uh, of, of what happened and he was told to go uh, video the storm and take pictures of the storm so he's on this beach and suddenly the storm is rolling in and he notices about a hundred feet away this woman who is standing on the beach and he's taking pictures of the waves coming in. Suddenly a wave comes in and just knocks the whole embankment that the woman is standing on and she falls into the lake. And and he's sitting there taking pictures and he's watching this woman as the waves are are hitting on her. And at one point he thinks she's going to be okay. Okay because one of the waves pulls her back onto the shore and she's there kind of in a daze. And suddenly he he just keeps taking pictures. And, And he suddenly realizes, maybe I should go help her. And he starts to go, I guess, but it's too late because a 20 foot wave comes in and takes her out. And they lost her and she was killed. And he said in an interview, I was doing my job. I was going through the motions. And yet, I lost sight of a human being who was in trouble. And I've often thought to myself, and I thought, wow, isn't that a little bit of what we can get caught up in when it comes to Church, faith, love. That we can sort of like be like the photographer and, and we're catching all the images of what's happening. But all around us, if we dug a little deeper, there's people in trouble. There's people that need the touch of being cared for or the touch of Jesus or even a word. You know, I've often said encouragement is the one Important gift that God has given us and yet it's the least used in the church. It's the, it's the one gift you don't have to have a special gift for. It's the one, it's, it's the one encouragement is the one thing you don't need special training for. But, but how often do we encourage one another when the Bible's full of it? Wow. Here's the second part. I love that Jesus says bearing fruit and he talks about bearing lasting fruit. And um, this whole fruity thing in Christianity, um, you know, it's just this wonderful terminology. Um, and I think when, when, when Jesus is talking about building lasting fruit, I think there's two, char- two, two parts to this. Number one, it's personal. This, this, this building character in ourselves that is like Jesus. Okay, if you go to the fruits of the spirit, you know, how many of you know the fruits of, let's let's do the fruits of the spirit, where are they? All right, we're doing the speaking in tongues thing again. All right, that's cool, that's cool. But hey, that's really good, That's, that's really good. Where are you, okay, in terms of percentage, how close are you? Nobody wants to talk, no. Nobody wants to die. No, no, no. Right, right? You know, but that's what we're pushing towards, the characteristics, right? How many of us have looked at somebody else? How many of us have looked at somebody else and said, I'd love to do what they do. I'd love to have what they have. But how many of us have said, I want to be just like them? That's a whole different question, right? Do you realize as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your primary question. That's your primary motivation. If I want to be just like him. Often we want to say, I want to do what Jesus did. I want to be able to heal. Right? I want to be able to pray so the mountains come down. I want to be able to speak so crowds come. But how many of us really, really want to be like him? That's what the fruits of the Spirit are all about. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's the first and and primary will of God for your life if you're a believer here this morning. The second thing has to do with mission that we bear lasting fruit because we are actively engaged in the things of God, that we are actively engaged in making a difference in the world, that we are actively engaged in in living out the kingdom of God in opposition to what is going on all around us. Bearing fruit. You know, there's a book, Kyle Eidelman uh, wrote a book called Not a Fan, and if you're interested at all in this whole thing of discipleship and you want to read a really good book, he's called, it's called Not a Fan, But a Follower, right? Because Jesus isn't looking for fans, he's looking for followers, okay? And he talks about being at a conference and he just got done speaking and if I remember the story right, a man came up to him afterwards and was just pouring out his heart about, about, about his daughter, a prodigal daughter, um, just just how... You know, her life had so gotten off the rails. And Kyle was totally expecting the man to, to say something like, so what do you think I could have done better as a parent? It was totally what he was expecting the man to say. But Kyle said he was really shocked because the man said this. He said this on his own. He goes, I realize now what happened to my daughter. We brought her up in the church but we didn't bring her up in Christ. And I thought, wow, wow. We brought her up in the church, but we didn't bring her up in Christ. So we've talked about loving others, bearing fruit, and 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 by the way, I th- I think I think in terms of bearing fruit, the, the character work comes first. The mission stuff flows out of that. Okay, we you know um, I think that's a very important distinction to make. Is 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 the character stuff is 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 your primary work in your life. The missional stuff comes from that. That's what pours out of your heart from that. All right. Here's, here's the last one abiding in Jesus and his word. If, if you uh, know anything about the Gospel of John, one of the more common words that John uses, uh, that Jesus uses, is abide or remain in me. The farther you get away from Jesus, the more trouble you're going to get yourself into. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Right? To abide in Christ, to remain in Christ, to, you know, to, to be an actively engaged person in living out your faith in Jesus Christ is a very, very, very important thing. Very important thing. Because discipleship begins with me. Discipleship begins individually. The power of God, the power of the Spirit of God working in your life to mold you and to shape you. And if you're going to mold and shape yourself, you need a model. And that model is Jesus Christ. And remember we said a few weeks ago, it's not worth following someone who's not worth following. It's not. If you're going to direct your life, if you're going to follow something, if you're going to follow a path, you're going to follow uh, you know, a program, if you're going to follow a lifestyle, if you're going to follow anything, it better be worth it in the end it better be worth it because i said i've said so many times it is such a tragedy to me to get to the very end of it all and to look back and go ah, what a waste what a waste if you're going to follow anything it better be worth following and jesus has demonstrated time and time and time again that he is the worthy one that he is the one worth following that they will shape your life in a way unimaginable unimaginable I love this story Uh, Dave Gibson wrote this about a friend's father who was an army sergeant I love this he had tried this army sergeant friend friend's father had tried for 25 years to quit smoking After multiple failed attempts, he went in for his yearly medical exam with an army doctor. The physician told him that his health was being severely harmed by smoking and that he should stop. The sergeant confessed he knew he should stop, and in a tone of despair, related his multiple attempts to stop smoking over many years. The physician looked at him and said, Son, what are these bars on my lapel? Okay, that's what he said to him. And the sergeant replied, it means you're a captain. He goes, yes, I'm a captain. And it also means that I outrank you. And I'm giving you a direct order to stop smoking. (laughs) Isn't that great? The friend's father went home and never smoked another cigarette again. He he could never quit on his own, even after years of trying. But he could quit when he understood the power of a direct order from a superior officer. He was so indoctrinated by the army that it took a direct order from a superior officer for him to quit. I just thought that was great. What does that got to do with Jesus and you? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay? We don't, have, we don't have to unpack that, right? <laughs> okay? You know, you know why this is important? I believe that discipleship, the nature of our following Jesus, is the most important thing in the life of a church. Because it makes all the difference in the vitality of the, of, the, of the community that we become and the difference it'll make to the world around us. So when, when people look at Jesus and then look at the church and never the twain meet, <laughs> never the twain shall meet, that's a serious problem. That's a serious problem. And it tells me that the very things that Jesus poured his life into are things that we are forgetting generation after generation after generation, but what it means to follow Jesus. That we're no longer the the loving community that exemplified the love of God to the world around. No longer abiding in Jesus and his word. Right, And the fruit that we're bearing is not the kind of fruit that God expects of us as followers of Jesus Christ. They're very important things. I want to throw up a couple of key points on the, on, uh, uh, up here. Um, and we're going to close this morning in kind of a, a different way. But I love this next statement, always love is a choice. You could come up against scores of opportunities every day to love or not to love. You encounter hundreds of small chances to please your friends, delight your Lord, and encourage your family. That's why love and obedience are intimately linked. You can't have one without the other. From Diamonds in the Dust, Johnny Erickson Tata. Love is a choice always. And the second quote I want to put up is this, from Robert Mulholland. A disciple is someone who is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And I love this last part. For the sake of others. Robert Mulholland, in in Invitation to a Journey, pulls this definition out of a disciple. Because we want to stop at the end of that one sentence. A disciple is someone who is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. That's it. But I love the fact that he adds that little tagline on the end, for the sake of others. Because you stand individually as part of the church to be Christ to the world around us. Now, I'm going to uh, just park for a minute. I'll come back up and have a prayer afterwards. But we're going to play another video. you. That's a video that was played in response to the video we saw earlier. All right.
1: What if I told you that Jesus loves religion, and that by his coming as a man, he brought his religion to fruition. See, this had to be addressed, the use of illogical terms and definitions. You clearly have a heart for Jesus, but it's fueling atheistic opinions. See, what makes his religion great is not errors of wars or inquisitions. It's that broken men and women get to participate in his mission. Clearly, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish. I came to fulfill the law, and I came to fulfill the prophets. And lines about building good churches and tending to the poor sound a bit like Judas when the perfume is being poured. See, his religion is the largest worldwide source of relief for the poor, the hungry, the sick and repentant thief. Oceans of compassion opening wide the doors for single mothers, widows and orphans, married and divorced. We all detest hypocrisy. Empty show is just the worst. But blaming religion for contradiction is like staring at death and blaming the hearse see the teacher will teach. When the students are ready to listen, but those that choose to sit in the pews and refuse the good news are not the fault of religion. And if I have the jersey and I'm playing for the bulls, there's going to be some boundaries, regulations, and some rules. You can't have Christ without his church. You can't have the king without his kingdom. Sins of the body and eternal treason will never ever make me leave them. And that Jesus said it is done is absolutely true. But he also gave us a mission with many things to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. Go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit in every land. And on the night he was betrayed, he took his men in the upper room. Take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink my blood for you. A new covenant to set us free, an action connected to the tree. Do this time and time again in memory of me and at last with crown of thorns beaten beyond comprehension, his eyes were looking for yours and mine. It was divine, no human invention. So as for religion, I love it. I have one because Jesus rose from the dead and won. I believe that when Jesus said, it is finished, his religion had just begun.
0: Wow. Nice rebuttal, eh? (laughs) Which I think just isolates the point even further. What we're talking about is hypocrisy. That as long as we're living lives that are hypocritical to what we believe and we say we follow Jesus, we will always give religion a bad name. Because Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to correct hearts that used it for ungodly ends. Right? And uh, I think that's why this the, that first video resonated with so many people. Because that is where many people see the church today. And our appeal to you today is you know, read that passage in John. And in your life groups this week, I know that uh, you're going to be dealing with that. And uh, again, I just just wish I could uh, videotape every life group this week because I think you're going to have some great conversation and some great challenges about what it means to follow Jesus authentically. Amen? Amen.